You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is Pharmacy Crossroads with your host, community pharmacy business veteran, the road trip guy, Bruce Neeland. Community pharmacy is at a crossroads. Pharmacy owners across the country are evolving their pharmacy businesses and making a bigger impact on their communities. Bruce talks with the most innovative community pharmacy owners, pharmacy industry experts, and people who are passionate about the business of pharmacy and its impact on community health care. Pharmacy Crossroads is a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And now, here's our host, Bruce Neeland. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Pharmacy Crossroads program. My name is Bruce Neeland, and I'll be your host. Pharmacy Crossroads is proud to be part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, the nation's largest and most widely listened to pharmacy-related podcast provider. The goal of Pharmacy Crossroads is to provide pharmacy owners and those whose careers focus on the support of independent pharmacy with information and inspiration that will help pharmacy owners do more and be better. Today, we're fortunate to have two such people on the show. First is Steve Hoffert, PharmD, owner of Magnolia Pharmacy in Magnolia, Texas. Magnolia is a quaint little town located about 60 miles outside of Houston. He is joined by Jenny Zilka, Group Vice President of, of Good Neighbor Pharmacy and Amerisource Bergen, and is the person tasked with, among many other things, managing the Good Neighbor Pharmacy coaching program. Both of these people are doing remarkable things, and it's an honor to have them on the show. We'll learn more about them as we talk, but let's get started. So Steve, first of all, can you tell us just a little bit about the physical layout of your pharmacy and provide a brief background of the various products and services you provide? Thanks, Bruce. Um, Magnolia Pharmacy is a hybrid pharmacy. Uh, we offer full retail services along with the compounding lab. Uh, we are PCAB accredited, and we do sterile and non-sterile services. Um, our front end is traditional front end retail. We have about, about 5,700 square foot just in proximity. Uh, we have a good line of pharmaceutical grade supplements. We do immunizations. Uh, we also offer um, health and hormone screenings in terms of uh, looking for hormone deficiencies. We also look at nutritional deficiencies. We help with weight loss, diabetes counseling. Uh, we also do point of care testing and kind of the latest thing we do is the enhanced clinical care stuff related to CPESN. Uh, yeah, that's a pot load of stuff and it's amazing. And you mentioned CPESN there real quickly. I understand you're a luminary with CPESN and you're also involved in Flip the Pharmacy? Yes, yeah, so heavily involved in both and trying to integrate those as be a part of our everyday practice. Well, thank you. That's a lot. You know, I seem to recall that we met a few years ago at a major pharmacy show uh, where you were on a panel talking about point of care testing. Can you tell us just a little bit about how you got involved in that and how that has 
evolved over the couple years that you've been doing it? Yeah, testing's always kind of been a part of our pharmacy. You know, the testing we initially had was related to not quick stuff, which is things like salivary testing for hormones, uh, looking at, we do some also stuff with SpectraCell, which is a blood test to look at vitamin and mineral uh, levels in the body. But we were approached uh, the use scenario by BD to offer point of care testing for flu and strep. And it seemed like a natural fit because we as pharmacists have to figure out ways to get people in our stores. And the point of care testing worked out great in terms of we got trained uh, it was something that we got kind of coached into doing, which was a good thing because it wasn't something like I just got this great idea to do this. But the success was good in terms of bringing people in our store that we had never had before. Um, the ability to offer something like immediate strep flu testing results for patients at the time worked out great because it brought us in a new subset of patients I don't think we necessarily had access to before, but it also gave us a new whole uh, subset of services to market um, that was not available in terms of a pharmacy market. And I think it opened up the door for some really great things that followed afterwards. Uh, that's interesting. And Jenny, I suspect you or the good neighbor pharmacy people had some uh, some role to play in getting him started. I mean, how's that working? Uh, how are you seeing point of care testing working across the across the country? Any tidbits that you can share with us? Yeah, you know, as we think about good, as we think about point of care testing, um, it's so interesting to me. COVID has has been such a, you know, such a tragedy. However, for our pharmacy owners, it's really cleared some red tape for them to be able to participate in the point of care testing in many states where previously they really weren't able to. So we're really looking forward um, to our pharmacy owners being able to play an active role in testing, in immunizations, in vaccinations. And, you know, we've heard we'd like for them to practice at the top of their license, which yeah. we believe so, so firmly in. And this is just a wonderful example of that. I know I trust Steve and his colleagues uh, more than anyone. So going to my my local independent pharmacy for these tests and for these vaccinations, um, you know, it makes perfect sense to me and, and the access that they are able to provide and the care that they provide, you know, is unparalleled. So we're really looking forward to seeing our pharmacy owners be able to engage more. And we are we are definitely seeing that increase throughout the country. So one of the big hurdles for point of care testing and several other kinds of things and you do in the pharmacy is getting a CLIA waiver. Um, who knows a little bit about that process? Steve, I guess you've been through it. Jenny, I suspect you're coaching people on how to do it. What's it take to get a CLIA waiver and what's CLIA stand for? Jenny, go ahead. The CLIA waiver is different in every single state. And that's what's so interesting about it from my perspective. I'll let Steve talk specifically about Texas. Um, but as we work with our pharmacy owners, you're right. In order to participate in these services, you do need to get a CLIA waiver. And every state's a little bit different. Some In some states, it's really rather challenging. And in others, it's as simple as sending, um, you know, sending some paperwork in. So we are encouraging our pharmacies to take that step and get that CLIA wave process. We call it getting them CLIA ready um, for, for the opportunities that are that I think are forthcoming 
Um, and, you know, we do still have a long way to go in terms of getting our independent pharmacies uh, CLIA ready. And our teams at Amerisource Bergen work with them individually. All of them are, are, are local. So they'll work with them in the states that they're responsible for and kind of help them navigate through that process. But it is complicated. And Steve, Steve. I'll let you talk more about Texas. Yeah, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, we were really fortunate. We've been doing blood sugar testing for years. And so because of that, we had to be CLIA waived many years ago. So you're right, like Jenny mentioned, COVID, COVID has changed the landscape for pharmacy in a good way because it's opened up access to many things. So the big push immediately if you didn't have a CLIA waiver. So CLIA waiver, basically the, what it stands for is Clinical Laboratory Improvement Amendment. But the key is, is every state has their own guidelines. So when I want to apply for a CLIA waiver, I've got to follow the guidelines for Texas, the application, the form. And Texas has its own principles and standards that it has that allows for me to follow so I can be a CLIA waiver pharmacy. With that CLIA waiver, that allows my facility as a pharmacy to legally provide testing that's CLIA waived by the FDA that is used lots of times in terms of assessing health, diagnosing, and determining treatment. So once again, without that, you're not able to process a CLIA waiver test. So once the FDA says, okay, this is now a CLIA waiver test, without the CLIA waiver, a pharmacy cannot produce it. Once again, we were lucky we had had that a long time ago. So at that point, it was more of just on a couple year, I think it's every two years, we had to renew our CLIA waiver because we do some other testing in the store that required that. Got it. So, yeah, I mean, I guess the real point is it's a necessary step for pharmacists to provide, and, and it's something that's within the ability of almost anybody to get if they just work at it a little bit. Would that be fair? Yes, depending on what their state guidelines are. I think that's the tricky thing many of us run into, and we've been awesome because, you know, like Amerisource Bergen and Good Neighbor Pharmacy, NCPA, they've been very good about educating us on how to take these steps to be at the next level when say COVID, COVID testing comes has come available or immunizations. But the challenge is when every state is different, it does make it a challenge sometimes. Well, uh, I mean, at, at this point, I want to pivot a little bit, but I'll set it up by again repeating, you're doing a lot of things above and beyond traditional dispensing. Um, the, the, the thing that I'm fond of saying is that I still believe, I'm one of those who believes that dispensing is gonna be a critical a foundational piece of, of a successful pharmacy, but you have to move beyond that. And, and the problem with moving beyond that is, first of all, you weren't trained in school to do much above and beyond that. And more importantly, the general public doesn't view a pharmacy as being a place to go where you get a strep test or where you get a, a comprehensive medication review. Those kinds of things aren't clearly understood or desired by consumers. So we've got to find a way to help consumers know and understand not only what we do, but why they care about it. And that brings us to what I think is the central point of what we want to talk about today is social media. How are you using social media to create demand? And and I guess, Steve, for you, I, I, I'm assuming you're not the social media guru in your store. Who's doing that and what are you doing? Tell us about your social media. Bruce, you, you framed that perfectly and what you said. The, the pills and the medications, the capsules, the creams, that is our access to patients. So no matter how bad we want to get away from that, we're not being reimbursed properly. 
that is our access to patients. So we can never lose that. Once we lose that, we lose access to patients. But you're 100% right. If a pharmacy is only going to do that aspect of things nowadays, we're not going to survive in our modern market. Our patients are asking for more. And you're 100% right. That's where social media comes in. Social media is our way to tell a story and get the word out of what we do that we provide that somebody who doesn't come in our store and see, I'm not going to lie. It really broke my heart to come. I think it was March the 15th. We shut our front end down and that's really, we've always had a big social media presence, but it's really neat to already have had that established before that because social media was our access to patients when they weren't able to come in our store. It was our way to get in front of patients every single day to tell our story, to educate, to provide them the things they needed in a time of need. And like you mentioned, we're the most trusted healthcare professional. What better way to do that than through social media? We've got to tell our story. So you mentioned like point of care testing. I remember when we rolled that out, that was one of the big things we did. So through the years, I've had to force myself to learn, be a little social media savvy. I am not at all. I didn't really care for it. But I just learned through the years is if we don't find a way to tell our story outside of our traditional advertising means, we're not going to be here. So I'm very lucky through our compounding side. We have a, I have a sales and marketing director that helps me. We meet once a week and at least, uh, at least monthly. First of all, we put together a calendar for the monthly uh, social media that we're going to do. Right now we use channels. We use Facebook, we use Twitter, we use Instagram, and we also use YouTube to put some videos and education stuff on. So we design our marketing plan for the month. When we sat down and plan it, We typically will pick a theme for the month, whether it be Men's Health Month, Women's Health Month, Breast Cancer Awareness. Well, a lot of it's focused around a theme. But then throughout that uh, year, I mean, throughout the rest of that month, we pick other things. Like you said, let's say we roll out some new point of care testing. We want to make sure that's that's in there and is relevant and is promoted in a way that people want to come in and get it. Now that we're back open, it's a little better because now people can actually come in and take advantage of these services. But once again, when we got flu shots in this year, it was great to be able to say, okay, now our flu shots are in, you can come see us. And I've been pretty amazed how well social media gets the word out because I'll tell you, once you put something on there, I swear it's within 10 minutes, you already have calls at the pharmacy. What was that product you talked about? What was that service you're providing? So if you don't think social media works, there is no other marketing platform that does that. Um, and so the other thing I think is important in terms of that is, is trying to find a social media champion in your store. Um, it can be a technician, yeah. it can be a pharmacist, but somebody that already likes social media a lot, that when something happens in the store, somebody comes in and makes a great comment, or a patient brings you a big old plate of cookies, or one of your pharmacists goes above and beyond to help somebody, that gets highlighted on your social media to, to designate, to say, hey, look, look, either look what we're doing, or look how much our patients love us. It's the organic things I have found that tend to get the most traction, and that's where Amerisource Bergen and the Good Neighbor Pharmacy Program has been great is to help stores like myself and stores who have little to no presence to a lot of presence engage in that social media market and, you know, to have a champion within the store, but also work hand in hand to make sure we're successful on the social media side. Well, let's, let's use that to segue over to Jenny. So uh, I, I'm assuming that from what I know, and I'm 73 years old, I'm not the social media guru of the world, but I do have grandkids in five different states, so I I do pay attention. But my assumption is that the social media success is somehow or another a combination of local relationship building coupled with 
science and 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 art combined that improves when you're part of a network that you can benchmark. So Jenny, can you tell us a little bit about what GNP does with social media and how your ability to see what's happening in hundreds of stores uh, helps you uh, uh, helps you help people like Steve? Sure, there is definitely a degree of behavior, behavioral science um, behind all social media. Um, you know, I think the, the best piece of advice that I can give for people um, and owners, whether it's pharmacy or other small business owners who are on the fence is to jump in, um, meet your patients where they are. Your, your patients are on their devices, whether we like it or not, um, you know, a, a large percentage of time is spent looking at these devices and on these social media channels. Um, so the reach, you know, when, when you can reach your patients where they're at, which is on their devices, um, it, it really can make a huge difference in terms of the engagement. Steve is uh, the shining example. He's the inspiration truly behind where Good Neighbor Pharmacy went with our, with our uh, digital strategy. But a few years ago, you know, Steve was doing uh, Facebook Live and you were one of the few, Steve, that were doing it. And, you know, what I what I learned during COVID, which was so interesting to me, is I would set my, my alarm to tune in and watch Steve's Facebook Lives. I think they're, <laughs> they're like 11 o'clock, Steve, Fridays or Thursdays. I can't remember. But I would set set my um, alarm because I trust Steve so in, implicitly. And he was sharing information about COVID that I knew I could rely on and I knew I could trust. And I know his patients did that too. And, you know, I'm in Minnesota and Steve's in Texas. So he's not, he's not my pharmacist, unfortunately. Um, and he's not in my backyard, but I still would tune in to hear from Steve. So um, the reach, and, and I know a number of my colleagues did as well, but the reach um, that Steve and the engagement um, that Steve was able to accomplish just by getting out there and talking to his patients via Facebook Live. And then there's also the, the posting and, you know, the other piece of advice I would give is ask for help. There is a science behind it. And, you know, we have these really bright, young, um, passionate people on our team who truly understand social media and understand how to use it. And it changes almost every single day. And I'm not, I'm not um, hip enough to keep up with it, but I sure do rely on them to help. And, you know, let them help you. Um, they're able to schedule posts when they know the bulk of your specific yeah. patients are on Facebook. Um, they, they're always kind of massaging the keywords that we are um, putting behind our Google paid advertising. And to your point, Bruce, it is a little bit creepy how much we are able to measure the impact of social media and um, digital advertising. Um, we, we can see when patients click for directions, we can see where they call, click to call the pharmacy, and we can measure that. Um, and we can also see where we serve up a Google ad and they actually click to call the pharmacy as well. So it's it's really amazing what we can do. Um, and we've had great results in, in 2020, you know, leading to 2.4 million phone calls to our pharmacies. Um, that's 200 per month per store. So we're really excited about that. And we can keep measuring it and keep fine tuning it and keep adjusting it based on what's happening within all the social media channels because they like to change their algorithms on a regular basis to kind of keep us guessing. Um, and then also be able to, to provide um, that guidance to our pharmacy owners. 
um, and, and help them, you know, maximize their utilization of, of the digital channels that they currently um, are utilizing. And I'll well, share a cute story about, oh, I'm sorry. No, please go ahead. If you got a story, please share it. Well, you were talking about, you know, best practices and benchmarking. And I, I just think this is so cute, but one of our team members went to get her flu shot. And while she was driving up to get her flu shot, the pharmacy owner was putting his good neighbor pharmacy, you know, um, marketing collateral out in front of the pharmacy. And she said, oh, it's so fun for me to actually see you using the collateral that we put together. Let me take a quick yeah. picture. So she took a picture of him and just sent it to him via, you know, text. And he posted it on his Facebook page and said, you know, hey, getting, we're out here getting ready for, for flu shots. I'm looking forward to having you to their patients to come in and, and get their flu shots and just, you know, that awareness that they're out there. And, and that they were prepared for the patients. And it was their number one um, performing post in, in months. And it was just that picture, I think, of them out there putting the signs up, knowing that they care about their community and that they're in this with them and they're going to provide the flu vaccination. So guess what we did? We told our other pharmacies, hey, get out there and take a picture. <laughs> so there's, there's certainly science yeah. behind it, but some of it is just best practices and every single day figuring out what's working, what's not, where we need to change course, and just really staying as up-to-date as we possibly can with, with all of those digital channels. Well, it you know, th there's no question but that it has become a powerful force. And, and the beauty of it is, um, you know, a, a, a corner pharmacy uh, can do it and benefit from it as much as, you know, a giant a giant retailer can. So it, it really is a, a field leveler in, uh, you know, in the industry. And, uh, you know, I, I know hardly a, a successful pharmacy is not involved with it. Uh, one of the things, you know, I've been, I've been calling on and selling to pharmacies for 40 years now. And one of the classic rejoinders or objections that people give me when I come to them with a program or a product or an idea or a program specifically is they say, well, I can do that. And I say, yeah, you can, but are you? And, um, you know, there's, there's something that comes from that, that professional relationship where, where it's somebody's job to do it and, and it gets done uh, even though the pharmacy could do it, the real question is, are they doing it? And, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm just a big believer in the social media idea. It's, it's a beautiful way to bring both uh, sales information and relationship information uh, and expose people to new ideas and things that they can use. So, you know, I mean, uh, Steve, you talked a little bit about you know, some of the services that you're providing that would come under the category of enhanced care. Uh, I, I seem to recall that you do a pretty good job with nutraceuticals, drug nutrient depletion. Uh, has social media helped you in that area? For sure. And like Jenny said, the way we got started into it is I went to a pharmacy seminar and they said, why not try Facebook Live? And I'm like, uh, I'm not social media savvy, but let's do it. So I pop my camera on a tripod and started doing them. And that just became a regular part of our store and our story on social media. And actually that's probably was the number one thing we promote on our Facebook lives is education and the supplements and the vitamins and the lifestyle management services we recommend here. Uh, we give a lot of information out for free, but I think that's how we gain trust in our patients. So you're exactly right. Whether it be 
that we do pill pouching or that we do, you know, MTMs, we do medication reviews or that we have a high-end supplements for stress, anxiety through the COVID things been awesome because it allows us to share information. We've actually custom formulated some vitamins for our, that I think support the immune system in a good way. That has been our platform to tell that story when people can't get out of their house that we can, we can show up in their living room on their social media device and on their phone and let them know, hey, this is what we're offering now. You know, come check us out, even though it's through drive through and curbside. Once again, that's how we told our story. We're only drive through and curbside here, but we're here to serve you. I think that's what's really awesome about social media. It allows you to adapt for what your pharmacy needs and allows you to tell your story. So uh, let's take two steps back for just a minute. Steve, You've been in business, uh, owned Magnolia Pharmacy, how long? Uh, since 2002, almost 18 years. So somewhere along the line, the pressures of a third-party uh, reimbursement started to hit you, and it became conscious. What, 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 what was the aha moment when you realized you needed to do more than just fill prescriptions? I think that's part of my inherent nature to be a lifelong learner. Um, to be honest with you, I think when Medicare Part D really hit is when I realized when it took a whole segment of patients that were a cash group of customers or right. that were using, let's say, a in-store discount type program and all of a sudden convert them over to a third party. When that large hunk of your customers now went to you no longer have control over price, I always say what type of industry has a market where 95% of the business you do, you have zero control over what you make. It's just unheard of. And then unfortunately, you're right, every year our reimbursements go lower and lower. And now it's the dreaded DIR fees, which is like, it's one thing to be told you're gonna make this much, but then it's one thing to be told you're gonna make this much and even this much less at a later date. And, and I think it was early on I realized if all I do is fill prescriptions, I'm not gonna make it. And I think that's what was critical in terms of realizing We've got to provide services that bring value to patients that they're willing to come into your store and either spend a little extra or do different things to take care of themselves. That's going to promote health, but also provides a total overall patient experience for somebody to, to uh, you know, enjoy at your store. And I think that's that really, I think I would say if I had to pick one thing, I would say when Medicare Part D hit, I think that's kind of what was my big eye-opening moment that things need to change. So there's a couple things embedded in there, and and I'll, I'll try to be cute, and I ask this, but will people pay cash for anything in a pharmacy? I mean, sadly, the typical I'm not. A, that's one thing about pharmacy: we are not good salesmen whatsoever. Yeah. Well, what I've learned throughout this is when you recommend, I'll pick a supplement, and you're exactly right. I think your market in your area dictates, but I will also say I have been shocked that if you provide quality service, quality information, quality products, and you back it up with that I truly care about your health, people are a lot more willing to spend money or spend time in something because, because they see you have buy-in and they have buy-in. And I will tell you, I am quite surprised sometimes people will spend $50 for a bottle of fish oil, but I can yeah. tell you the science behind it, it needs to be done. I really, I'm not in a market. People will do that, but I'll tell you, I'm probably, I probably sell more official than anybody in Texas because people know that we're committed to making sure they're healthy. We sell quality. And so I would say, yeah, Bruce, if, if, if I think if it's done right and sold right, and you know, obviously within a good ethical conscience, people will yeah. spend cash for something you would not otherwise think they would. Well, and, and I mean, I guess that's the, the, the message. I, I, I've come to understand two things from 
chatting with folks like you all across the country is people will pay cash for healthcare services. And the examples I use is people go to uh, massage therapists and pay cash. They go take a yoga class and they pay cash. You know, so people will pay cash. And the automatic rejoinder that I hear all too often is, well, if insurance isn't going to pay for it, the pharmacy owner doesn't think he can sell it. And and that would be the myth that I would want to I would want to crush. The other point, and and I'd like to hear you talk about that. We're we're used to thinking about everybody needs a prescription. Um, and so we think that if everybody isn't going to do it, nobody will. But there's a small segment of your population that will. And and I like to say, you know, only 10% of the population have ever paid for a professional massage. Uh, but that's a huge industry of only 10% of your population. So, I mean, if you tackled that notion that everybody isn't going to buy fish oil, but some will and enough will to make it make sense. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree. I think, and and I think that's the part where the lifelong learner is me. I've spent a lot of time in education on myself, but also my staff about once you, like you mentioned, alternative therapies, you know, integrated functional medicine, personalized medicine. But, but I do think that's the part is you have to have that relationship with patients. That's yeah. the part, Bruce, you've been doing this for years. You know, that's to the core of what community retail pharmacy is about. And I think developing those relationships and that ties back into your social media aspect. That is the one way that we have the ability to form a relationship with somebody that's not even in your store. That's where if your posts are genuine, personal, related to your store, you actually create that connection. And that is what it's all about nowadays. And like Jenny just mentioned, it's those personal connections that are local to your store that when you do something a person feels like, you know what, I feel like I'm a part of that community. I'm a part of that store. And I think that's how you can move the needle in terms of getting changing people's behaviors, modifications, and what their overall healthcare is going to be. Because I do think we live in a, in a society now where wellness and, and making sure they're taken care of is at the top of the, really at the top. There's a lot of things that maybe are disposable income items. But I'll tell you, I think people's health, obviously, as we all know, it is. Sometimes people don't think that, but I think nowadays people are a lot more in tune to making sure. And I think COVID is something else that that drives that when people know that comorbidities are one of the biggest determining factor of overall outcome with, with uh, COVID-19. I think people are a lot more aware as, you know, maybe I do need to lose a few pounds. Maybe I do need to get yeah. more sleep because that's what we're seeing in the media every single day. Uh, Jenny, uh, I think you can tell you've got a passionate and competent uh, uh pharmacist on your side uh anything you'd like to add uh, we're we're about up out of time something you want to throw into the equation here that would help some of our listeners boy i don't know that i could say it any better than steve just did yeah. um but when i think about uh, i'll shift to thinking of myself as a patient um i think what steve said is so so important that building of the trust with the patient and it's something that our independent pharmacy owners and pharmacists and technicians do every single day. But once you've built that, they are listening and they are hungry for information, right? So as Steve's talking, I'm thinking to myself, boy, I really need to touch base with Steve and find out more about these nutraceuticals that he's specially compounded as a patient um, because I trust him. And, and I think um, I think that's such a key, a key com component. And, and, you know, when you think about pharmacy, it's more than dispensing those prescriptions. It's that, it's that holistic care 
that our owners provide to their patients day in and, and day out. So, you know, we're already doing that part. Um, now don't be afraid to, to, to launch into some other areas to make sure people and patients and consumers know the services that, that our pharmacies are providing. So, so don't be afraid to tell that story. Yeah, there's that prompts me to say two things. First and foremost is what one of the things I've preached for years now is that pharmacists need to broaden their thinking of their own role and and expand it to being a healthcare provider and and not simply a pharmacist. And they're they're trained and they have the the ability to do that. The thing that I'll also add is I just picked up a copy of the September issue of Consumer Reports and they have a cover story talking about the problem with uh, vitamin supplements uh, and the inability of uh, people to, to know and trust that what they say is in the bottle is actually in the bottle and the inability of people to know whether the quality of the product that they're buying is, you know, is what they expect. And uh, I've got a request in for reprint uh, permission to share that. But the real point is, that's the role where the pharmacist can shine. Um, that trusted professional who has carefully sourced uh, the the items that you know that he or she stocks in their pharmacy, and and can recommend them with a clear understanding of what the other uh, pharmaceutical uh, components are that a person is taking, and um, you know it it just strikes me as a as a great avenue forward for pharmacy to be able to grow into that nutritional supplement space uh, with confidence as Steve has chatted about. Steve, any final words? We're about done. No, it's great, Bruce. You brought up a good point. Like you said, is we, we've got to learn to get out from behind the counter and get this mantra out. How many can I fill in a day? Because it's not about that anymore. It's like, what else can we do beyond filling each day to make a difference in our own businesses to grow? but to make a difference in our patient life. And you got a great point. Like he said, it's, it's all about, we've got to learn and expand our possibilities and our options that we have for patients to, to make pharmacy work nowadays. So. Well, Jenny, Steve, it's been an honor chatting with you. Thank you so much for sharing your, your passion and your wisdom and your understanding with others. Let's hope that that helps anybody who's listening move forward and do more and be better. And uh, with that, we're signing out for Pharmacy Crossroads today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Crossroads. If you're interested in talking with Bruce, please contact the show. Visit PharmacyCrossroads.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.